Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good Thursday morning to you and I have to say there is a real feel of winter out there today. If you haven't been out and about and you are heading out, you really do need to wrap up warm. There is a biting wind out there this morning that literally would go through you and I think it certainly was the first morning this morning that I got up and felt, ooh, yeah, there's a nip in the air. Uh, Winter is definitely upon us and uh, it was forecast, particularly after the lovely, lovely Indian summer weather that we were talking about this time last week. I mean, temperatures today, at best, they'll go to 14 degrees. Uh, tonight's going to be another chilly and a blustery night. And uh, tomorrow, we've got much of the same tomorrow, but temperatures in and around the 11 to 14 degrees mark. So it is definitely the winter coats and the scarves and the winter boots. But you need to have a brolly with you as well today because there is uh, some showers forecast and some of those showers will be heavy at times. Anyway, let's welcome you along to the programme and hoping on this Thursday morning Morning. We find each and every one of you in good form. Sadie and John Paul are standing by taking your calls at 1850 Anything you want to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can text or you can WhatsApp 086 It is Thursday, so that means throughout the morning, if you have a pet question for Jane Pickett, our resident vet, you can get that in and we'll put it to Jane uh, later on. And all of the papers and certainly hearing about it on our old news bulletins and on the TV news bulletins, we're all all being told that we have one to two weeks. This is the entire country. We've one to two weeks to prevent stricter lockdowns being imposed because the virus is now growing at once again at an alarming rate across the country. The restrictions that were imposed last weekend on Dublin, they're now saying may expand to other counties across Ireland if the progress of the infection is not halted. 
Professor Philip Nolan speaking yesterday said the rest of the country he reckons we're around two weeks behind Dublin in terms of the coronavirus cases. Now I touched on this uh, yesterday. It was a paediatrician wasn't it in CUH had been sort of charting the figures and looking at what had been happening in Dublin and uh, they were saying we were about three weeks where Dublin was two to three weeks ago. That's where we are now here in Cork. So if we stay on that same trajectory then where are we going to be in two weeks time? We're going to be looking at a lockdown similar to what has happened in Dublin. Philip Nolan says a radical change of behaviour is needed. Otherwise, he said the rest of the country risks catching up with Dublin and it's one of those league tables we don't want to be catching up with Dublin. At the moment the focus of attention is on Waterford, on Louth and on Donegal. They are the three counties for now that are causing the most concern within for the health officials. The chief, the acting chief medical officer, Dr. Roland Glynn, he said while Donegal may be of concern today, along with Louth and Waterford, he said any other county across the country could be of concern tomorrow. And he went on then to implore people around the country not to wait until you hear a warning sign coming from Neffet and he's asked everybody to please, please, please we all need to cut down on our social contacts and we need to do it now. Two more people sadly passed away due to coronavirus yesterday and the deaths are again averaging one a day and do you remember we were celebrating the fact where we were, did we go 10 days with no deaths? It was just almost, we look forward to hearing the figures every day on the news because the figures of positive cases were so low and then of course added to that there was you know day after day after day with no death recorded from COVID-19 but now we're back at looking on average one death a day number of new cases yesterday was 234 of those for the first time in a while less than a half of them were in Dublin it was 103 in total for Dublin uh, Neffert are meeting today they're going to analyse all of the figures and that will be the figures from all over the country there are were signs that the three counties of Waterford, Louth and Donegal, they're the ones most concerning because they've got the rising levels of the disease. There was talks that restrictions might be put in place, but what some are saying now is that they may be spared the restrictions until next week, so they'll be given another week to try to get their act together, although there's no guarantee of that. And in fairness, it's a little bit like what they did in Dublin. They were giving warning signs for Dublin for many, many weeks, saying to people in Dublin city and county, you need to limit your social contact contacts. The numbers are rising. And at that stage, they were only rising in Dublin. They weren't rising in the rest of the country. And there was a lot of focus put on Dublin. And Dublin people were warned if they didn't get the numbers down, then restrictions would come in. And there was at least two weeks where they said, we'll give them another week, we'll give them another week. So maybe that's what they will do when they meet today. Maybe they will come out and say that to Waterford, Louth and Donegal. You'll have one more week to get the figures down. And then look Looking at the incident rate of confirmed cases for us here in Cork, we are on a worrying, there's a worrying trend starting here in Cork. Our numbers are starting to rise again. Yesterday, uh, we had of the 234 new cases, 21 of them were here in Cork and we we're getting those figures in their 20s. We've even had a couple of days where they were in their 30s when we had weeks upon weeks upon weeks where we either had no 
COVID-19 positive cases or we were certainly in single digits for a long while there was one and two was all that was recorded right across Cork City and County suddenly now we're back to numbers in their 20s and even in their 30s last Friday uh, we here in Cork we had the second lowest 14 day incident rate of confirmed cases per 100,000 population there was only one county below us and that of course was Sligo however the latest data from the National Protection Surveillance Centre shows that is no longer the case. According to the latest report in Cork, we've had 176 cases reported in Cork in the 14 days up to September the 21st, uh, which was Monday of this week. It shows then the 14 day incident from last Monday back the last four, the last 14 days. The incidence of confirmed uh, cases per 100,000 has now gone to 32 Point four, and we had been at 16.9 so we have doubled the incident rate of cases per 100,000 which now means we're ninth off the bottom we were second off the bottom we're now ninth we're jumping up that league a table and we're jumping up at a very very quick rate indeed then dig- digging further into the figures for Cork more than two thirds of the cases were associated with clusters and 10 were reported in in healthcare workers the mean age of the affected patients was 37 for us here in uh, Cork so they certainly are very very worrying figures indeed and as I say Roland Glenn was out yesterday warning people you know, that the that what we need to do, the single most important thing that all of us across the country need to do is to reduce the social uh, contacts. We need to cut down on, he said, what he called discretionary social activities. And if you think back to how many people did you meet last week, they're suggesting if we could have the number of people across the next seven day, days that we met over the last seven days. And yesterday at the, at the Neffet briefing, I mean, there was... A case highlighted, and this, this I suppose, shows the stupidity of some people. And, and I don't know how we get through to people when you hear of this case. It was a case of a family member who was a close contact of a person who had been diagnosed with COVID-19. It wasn't a case of somebody who was suspected of having COVID-19. This is somebody who was told, you are now a close contact, somebody you've been in contact with actually a family member so obviously somebody they were living with has been diagnosed with COVID-19 they were then told you need to restrict your movements for 14 days did they restrict their movements for 14 days? No the person decided that they would go to a party that that would be a good idea sure I'm feeling fine so what if my brother my sister my mother my father has COVID-19 haven't passed it on to me sure I'll never get it I'm fine too deluded on to the party and guess what happened that one person who went to that party ended up affecting more than 20 uh, others the absolute and complete stupidity of it and that's been reflected all over the country it's cases like that that is causing the spread of uh, COVID-19 and there's also grave concern about the increase in older people that are picking up the uh, virus there was and then of course a number of the older people will end up in hospital but not all elderly people can I say with COVID-19 ends up in hospital. Looking at the hospital figures up to yesterday there was an average of 80 people in hospital with COVID-19 on any given day last week. Yesterday's figure 95 people were in hospital. There were around 7 patients with COVID-19 now being admitted to hospital 
hospital every day. Nine have been admitted in the previous 24 hours and COVID-19 has also led to 16 patients being in intensive care. But what is interesting when we looked at the figures for the intensive care, the 16, the majority of those in intensive care are under 65 and there's even a number of younger people who are in intensive care at the moment and it is only the very, very sickest that end up in intensive care. And funerals and social gatherings after first communion ceremonies are now also leading to outbreaks. So we've got to stop having these social gatherings and thinking it's okay. Actually, it's only ourselves. It's a few family members and a couple of the neighbours and a few friends. Should we all be fine? And the latest data has also revealed that 83% of new outbreaks have occurred in private households. Private households continue to account for the greatest number of outbreaks. So it's people still congregating, whether they're having house parties or whether they're having some kind of gatherings like that for the First Holy Communions or the Confirmations or there's a birthday party or there's an anniversary or there's a funeral and it is, and you know, when somebody's lost a loved one, of course you want to be with your nearest and uh, dearest but nobody wants to organise some kind of an event for all of the family to attend following the death of a loved one and then, then discover that somebody arrives at that little gathering following a funeral who had COVID-19 maybe didn't realise they had COVID-19 and then they spread it on to everybody that was in the household. So there's a lot of very stark warnings coming from uh, Neffet and we are now on high alert if we don't all of us act responsibly and limit our movements. It does look like everyone across the country we will be heading towards further restrictions and nobody but nobody wants to go back to the dark days of uh, lockdown where literally all the restaurants uh, would be closed. Uh, any kind of uh, 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 any kind of place that you want to go to outside of maybe shopping for the essentials will be limited on all of that. Will we end up going back to not able to travel outside of our county? Absolutely. Could it go back to not being able to travel more than five kilometres or two kilometres if the cases get worse that's what we're heading back into 1850 John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls your texts and comments uh, also work welcome by text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 A pump repair works is going on and it might affect water supply to Ballydaly Rathdowan and the surrounding areas until about 4 o'clock today and Irish Water Cook County Council apologising for any inconvenience caused that's Ballydaly Rathjuan and the surrounding uh, areas. John says there are lots of Dubliners leaving Dublin coming into Cork and Kerry. John said my daughter was in Kerry last weekend and she said the place was full of dubs. No wonder our cases are arising. Well if there was anyone from Dublin down in Kerry last weekend John they shouldn't have been there because it was from midnight on Friday night that the restrictions came in that we're not allowed to travel to Dublin and Dublin people are not allowed to leave their county except for essential reasons and and heading for a trip to Cork and Kerry, I don't think could be deemed essential reason, reasons. And I know the Gardaí were out manning checkpoints over the weekend to make sure the Dubliners were staying in Dublin. And also anybody heading into Dublin, they were stopping and asking them what was their reason for going to Dublin. So if there was Dubliners, unless they were down there already and were heading back, they were at the end of a staycation or something. Well, certainly this weekend and across this week, you shouldn't be seeing Dublin people, certainly not out on staycations. And I saw Francis Brennan was on the late, late and he said that when the announcement was made that Dublin was in lockdown for three weeks 
And he said, did he say 20,000 euro worth of business they instantly lost for Dubliners who were planning on staying with his hotel down in Kenmare? And he said, literally people were, were ringing up cancelling. And I heard that all over the country, hotels were hotels and B&Bs and guest houses and people who were hiring accommodation from people within Dublin because the majority of Dubliners are going to abide by all of the rules. You'll always get the rogue element but I think the majority of people understand that when they're told to stay within their county they do stay within their county. And Pat says I think now is the time that we all need to be wearing face masks in public not just in shops and supermarkets Pat reckons out on the street. As soon as you leave your house you should have a face mask on you. Also Pat says everyone needs to stop visiting other people's homes. Uh, Pat also feels it's time to finally close the off licences. 1850-333-103 John Paul and Sadie taking your calls text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Or today on C103 Call Patricia with your comment 1850-333-103 Now partners of expectant mothers will continue to be excluded from scans and early labour in some parts of the country as not all hospitals will be able to include them under new government plans. West Cork Social Democrat at uh, Dáil Deputy Holly Carnes has been fighting for an ease of these restrictions for some time and uh, she once again joins me on this uh, topic. Good morning to you, Holly. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and you're welcome uh, to the programme. Now, the government is set to introduce uh, nationwide guidelines. Do you have any idea of what's contained in those guidelines? I don't yet. Um, so the last time I raised in the doors with the Taoiseach and he gave me a commitment that he would bring the matter up with the acting chief medical officer and I've since learned that the National Women and Infant Health Programme is preparing a document for a consistent national approach to restrictions in maternity hospitals. However, there's also a reference to having due regard for local circumstances, kind of a, a vague line that's often rolled out that, that means we're kind of left where we were beforehand at the moment until we get that information. And, you, you know, and that we're still seeking transparency of how these decisions are being made or what the situation is. But for listeners that might not have been listening to last time, just as an overview, the restrictions that were introduced in maternity hospitals were introduced six months ago along with all of the really extreme restrictions we saw introduced across society. And since then, those restrictions, the rest of the restrictions across society, have been um, reviewed, revised, and in many cases eased. But with regard to maternity hospitals, we don't think there has been a review. And what it's resulted in is that it's essentially a postcode lottery. There is a huge disparity in restrictions across the country. So... Some women have to go through almost all of their birth alone and prenatal scans and postnatal care. In other areas, uh, you can have your partner with you for some of it. Yeah, because um, I was, you know, I was reading that the term has been used quite a lot. That that you've mentioned the postcode lottery. A lot of papers are picking up on that comment. And you know, one example that was given of two Dublin hospitals that are only two kilometres apart, the Rotunda Hospital. They uh, have lifted the ban on partners coming in for the twenty-week scan. But two kilometres away in the National Maternity Hospital on Hollow Street, the expectant mothers to attend alone. Exactly, and the ultra ultrasound scans. Um, the kind of 20-week scan some we refer to uh, can be a really difficult and, and stressful time for mothers where they often receive bad news. And between those two hospitals, like you say, two kilometres apart, there's a disparity in those restrictions. And obviously, Patricia, public health is the priority here. Um, you know, that goes without saying. And every single woman or their partner who's contacted me also wants the, the health of their baby and the other babies in the wards and themselves to be prioritised. However, it's being referred to as visitor restrictions. And I think it's really worth noting that 
a partner isn't necessarily a visitor. Mm. You know, mm. to not be allowed to be present for scans for your child, for the birth of your child. And when women have to undergo a C-section, that means that they could be in hospital for five days. So we're talking about dads not meeting their child until it's five days old. And we know it's an important kind of bonding period. And it's a time where women really need support. We know these restrictions are really adding stress. I think there's mental health aspects that really need to be taken into consideration here. Like that we see across society, we're taking into consideration economic, social and health aspects. And in this situation, I think it's so important that we take into consideration mental health of both parents in this situation. The last thing you need when you're going into labour is added stress. And like the fear from new mums, so many people are contacting me now since I've been raising the issue, they're just terrified of going in on their own, their first time giving birth. Um, And like that, we mentioned it before, it's hard enough when things go well to experience that on your own. Yeah, and it's it's tough on the dads as well. Absolutely. The the, the correspondence I'm having with with dads, like I was speaking to a man recently who spoke about they they got bad news and his his partner had lost the child and she had to go into the, the hospital for kind of procedure. And the experience that he had of sitting in the car in the car park outside, driving around the city, not knowing what to do, it was during that waiting period that he got in touch with me to just tell me how traumatic it was. And, you know, there's, there's added things to this and like this pandemic has shone a light on so many um, things in our society that were already there as well. And um, they already existed. The pandemic didn't create them and highlight them. But that man wasn't entitled to a day off work for that. There was no parental leave for him in wow. that situation. Wow. And he's been through hell and to not be able to be with his partner and support her like he was quite traumatised understandably by the situation and there's so many fathers going through this. Yeah, I heard of another similar case of a dad who liked that at the the 20 week scan they discovered no heartbeat and um, his wife had lost the baby and then she had to go back in two days later for a procedure and she and he spoke about you know sitting in the car watching her carrying her bag into the hospital on her own and he said it was just the loneliest time. He just wanted, you know, to have his arms around her, minding her, telling her she'd be okay. And he said, I had to watch her walk into the hospital carrying her little bag herself. And it was just heartbreaking. It's just heartbreaking. And I think that, like I mentioned before, the the lack of lobby for this group in society, it's not organised. Like, for example, the sports sector or the hospitality sector, we need to, to speak up for these people to have these restrictions reviewed because... Every single day that this goes on, another couple is going through that. We know there's 60,000 children born a year, so it's been over 30,000 people. Have since March, it. since lockdown, yeah, I was looking up that figure uh, yesterday as well. That 30,000 little babies uh, have been born. And the World Health Organization, Holly, have also come out. They strongly recommend supporting a woman to have a chosen companion during labour and uh, childbirth, including during COVID-19. Absolutely. And the thing is, there is like different solutions to this. For one, we shouldn't be looking for can partners come in or can they not? We have to see it as essential. It's not a visitor. How do we make it safe for partners to come in? And I heard somebody talking from the Rotunda recently saying that they now have tests where they can get results in an hour. So why can't we prioritise those tests for something like this? Because it's massively important when people, you can understand the frustration, for example, that man you just spoke about. He can go to the pub with his partner. He can go to a wedding with 
his partner and 48 other people and he can't attend a prenatal scan or the birth of that child in some instances. Well, I want to, bring, I want to bring in Caroline Cumming, who is uh, the West Cork, uh, West Cork mom. She's pregnant on her third child, recently set up the online petition to ease the restrictions. And that was when I spoke with Caroline the last time, that was one of the points I made to her, um, that Caroline, her husband, could go to the pub with her, but yet he can't go into the hospital with her. Yeah. She's on the other line. Good morning to you, Caroline. Good morning, Patricia. Um, uh, firstly, pregnancy, everything going well. Where are we at now? Well, funnily enough, I'm 20 weeks uh, since yesterday and I have my scan next week. So, yeah, fingers crossed, it's all good news. And you have to go to that scan on your own? At the moment, yes. Unfortunately, there hasn't been any changes in the Cork Maternity Hospital, so I'll be, I'll be attending that by myself, yeah. So has there been any easing of restrictions at the CUMH? Not that I know of, no. I think it's actually one of the strictest um, across the country from what I can hear. So, no, we haven't heard of any, any, any let-up just yet. How is your online petition going? It's flying it. It's um, up to 45,500 signatures. Um, you know, I think, I think this, is, this whole issue, since it's become public, has just opened a floodgate. Or, and I, I feel like women were maybe processing all these experiences on their own, or, and men, of course. And um, now that it's sort of out in the public arena to talk about, there's just stories coming, coming forth, heartbreaking stories, day in and day out. And... Uh, it's just giving people an opportunity to, to relay them and, and speak of their experiences. And it's, um, it's really telling a powerful picture about how much this has impacted, you know, everyone in the last six months who's had the experience of being pregnant or giving birth. It's, it's really negatively impacted that entire experience, even if you come out of it at the end with a healthy baby and you go home. Of course, you're grateful for that. But it, it, it just doesn't have to be this hard anymore, I don't believe. You know, they keep talking about the safety of everybody in the hospital as being paramount. And, and again, and Holly has said it time and time again, we want that too. We, we don't want to cause any outbreaks in hospitals. But I don't believe the safety of people in the hospital and a partner being present are mutually exclusive. I think these two things can happen together and that's what we need to work towards. So are you taking any kind of hope from this plan that is expected? So Holly, when is that plan expected to be published with the guidelines for the maternity hospital? Is it this week? Hopefully very soon. I actually saw me all in the corridor here in Leinster House yesterday and grabbed him and said, do you have any idea of a timescale on that? Uh, you know, what are we talking about? Because the Cork and Care Regional Group had said a couple of weeks, which seemed very vague, and that was a couple of weeks ago. Um, and he said, no, soon. You know, soon. I said, in a week, it's during this week, soon. <laughs> he said, soon, soon. So I'm, I'm hoping that he means very soon because this can't go on for any keep, longer. Keep harassing him in the corridor, Holly. Um, <laughs> will, and uh, Caroline, are you hopeful? Of with these new guidelines I, that CUMH will row in? I am. I'm an optimist at heart. <laughs> well I'm not a worst case scenario thinker. So yes, I, I wouldn't have started this if I didn't really hope that, that we could have some say and our voices could be heard and we could have some influence um, over sort of policy making. So yeah, I am really hopeful. Just I suppose as Polly said, it's just a timeline and how many more people have to go through these awful experiences in the meantime. And frustrating to hear that some hospitals seem to be managing it, like the Rotunda is allowing the dads in for the for the twenty yes, week. Frustrating on one hand because it's not my hospital, but at the same time, you know, I do take some hope from that as well because if if, if they are in Dublin where the numbers are, you know, supposedly so much higher than Cork, and they're able to think through this logically and apply common sense and find solutions, which is what we're asking for, then that surely gives us hope that the other hospitals around the country can do the same thing. And they can set a precedent. And I think one of the hospitals um, 
I think it might be their attendance partners are allowed in for two hours a day for visitors. And, wow. you know, at the moment, that would be huge for yeah. women. Yeah. Um, after yeah, nobody, I think, wants to go back to the way it was, that it was just, you know, no. free, not quite a free-for-all, but people understand that there will have to be re- restrictions. But, but we just want we just want an easing of them. And are, are, are you worried about the birth, Caroline? I know your husband had been very supportive on the two previous <laughs> babies. Are yeah, you worried? Yeah. Are, are you concerned? I, or are you trying to put just, not think about it? Yeah, do you know what? I'm trying to take it one step at a time. So because of this 20-week scan coming up next week, I kind of want to get through that first. Yeah. And um, But if I'm honest, yes, if I start to sort of let my mind wander and picture, you know, the, the rush to the hospital and the or being induced or any of those things, I do get very nervous and I, and I would absolutely hate to walk through those doors without him next to me. So I, I really hope, you know, I've, I've got until February to hopefully get these things changed. Um, so at the moment, I'm sort of, I have a lot of friends and, and family and sisters-in-law who are, to give birth in the next few months so I, I really want to get things changed for them Okay well done well done you're yeah. putting can up I a great perfect Holly yeah well, that if people agree and can really emphasise with what Caroline and loads of other people are going through please sign her petition you know we've spoken about that lack of organised lobby compared to other sectors in society that if people agree and would like to see these restrictions reviewed and for it to be safely implemented that partners can attend birth please 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 share and sign Caroline's petition um, it's up online <coughs> all over Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, I really encourage people to, to sign it and to share it. Okay. The, the, okay. the more people that do, the, the more chance we have of doing this promptly. Okay, well done. Well done. Listen, uh, Caroline, look after yourself. Thank you for that. Thanks a million. And uh, thanks. Stay safe. Uh, no doubt we'll speak again. Holly, just while I have you um, on the line, you yeah. are one, uh, you're a member of the Social uh, Democrats. You're one of the parties that have decided not to take the 2% wage increase. That's right. Yes. Why? Um, it's up to individual TDs. Um, so it happens that everybody in the Social Democrats decided to waive it. Um, I think, for one, we're, we're paid enough. Um, for two, you know, it, it seems almost like a comedy skit. Imagine cutting the pandemic unemployment payment in the same week as giving politicians a pay rise. I just genuinely don't want it. I'd rather see the pandemic unemployment payment kept where it's at. You know, I'm talking to constituents all the time, people who have uh, you know, um, teenagers, young adults going to college and they've got all of these added costs of accommodation and things like that and their their payment has been cut. It's, it seems like this decision is very out of touch with what's actually going on in the country at the moment. We're in the middle of a global pandemic. People are struggling. Businesses are closing down. You know, West Cork recently flooded. There's massive um, stress on people at the moment and Oftentimes, financial support is really helpful in those situations. And I don't see why funding is being directed towards us when it should be going towards other parts of society at the moment. Um, I just think it seems really inappropriate and I won't be taking it. Well done. Well done. OK, listen, thank you for that. We'll speak again, uh, Holly, but thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to you, Social Democrats, uh, Doll Deputy Holly Carnes. And I know Heidi was on to us earlier uh, about this pay rise for TDs. She said people are asking why, when all of us in the real world with families and all that that entails, we've all of our bills, etc. Everything has to be paid, and we are not getting pay rises. Some of us are lucky if we even have a, a job. It seems crazy that the members of the Doll are getting pay increases. It's a two percent hike. It'll bring a TD salary to. 
96187 oh, that, oh, that's where it is it brings the TD salary up to 98113 and senators go up to 69474 but what most people are pointing out is it's very close to the peak pay that both senators and TDs were receiving before the boom during the Celtic Tiger days when a TD was earning just over €100,000 was €100,191 but then obviously they had various cuts over the year over the years uh, because of the downturn in the economy but slowly they're going back up to where they were at Celtic Tiger uh, Day so the Social Democrats people for profits uh, Dáil Deputy have all wavered the 2% increase Sinn Féin spokesperson also said its TDs uh, agreed collectively in May to forgo the rise and they're gifting it back to the Exchequer and a spokesperson for the independent group of Dáil Deputies that's Marion Harkin Joan Collins Thomas Pringle uh, Michael Fitzgerald they all said that they are not taking the increase and I've had a press statement in on behalf of Deputy Michael Collins in West Cork to say he will not be taking the 2% salary increase uh, awarded which will be awarded to TDs in uh, the next two months Deputy Collins has refused any raises to his wages either in the previous stall or for this one and he feels that it's terribly unfair to so many out there at this time who are struggling to make ends meet Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086-2103-103. And Irish Water have, are saying that they are currently investigating reports of a supply disruption in Money Glanworth and the surrounding areas of County Cork. And they promise us more information when it comes to hand. That's in the Money Glanworth and surrounding areas. Now, with Cork COVID-19 cases, unfortunately, on the rise once again, Cork City Council have launched a new initiative that aims to promote social distancing and joining me to discuss the Blue Vests initiative is former Lord Mayor Dr John uh, Sheehan. Good morning to you John. Morning Patricia. Hey, you're welcome. Now, this is a, I think a very clever idea. You've, in, you've invested in social distancing blue vests. Can you just explain how you hope it'll work? Yes, the idea behind it Patricia is as you know, when the lockdown occurred in March, uh, the elderly had to cocoon uh, a lot. And for an awful lot of them, that was a very stressful uh, time. But also for a lot of them, their confidence, I think, were, was affected. And what we have noticed over the last couple of months is that an awful lot of people, uh, not just elderly, but, but people who may have some chronic medical condition, are very nervous about going out and engaging and going out. And it's important, I think, that they, you know, that they do go out, they do get exercise, that they do, you know, that they're not isolated. And the idea behind the blue vest is that we've noticed, particularly in more built-up areas or in shopping areas, that a, a lot of elderly people are quite nervous. So by bringing in the blue vest, is it gives people an opportunity to put it on. It's a bit like the high-vis vest that people wear when they're out walking at night time. But it just says that signal, you know, that I may be a vulnerable person, give me some space, and it just acts as a reminder for people because for all of us with the best one in the world, we can forget and sometimes we cannot give people space. And a lot of people might be okay with that, but then some people will be extremely nervous and sometimes it prevents them from going out. So by, wear, by somebody, a vulnerable people person or an elderly person, wearing the blue vest while they're out and about, it just sends that signal to please give me a bit of space 
come around me, let, you know, keep the social distancing, and it acts as that reminder for people without people having to say it to people because people are naturally reluctant to do that. They don't want to create a fuss. They don't want to, uh, to do things. And what happens, unfortunately, Patricia, is that people just stop going out. Yeah, and I know we've had a few contacted us here on the programme. You know, there was one lady in particular, it was her first shopping trip after lockdown, and she was very nervous about it, and she said she went into her local supermarket, and she just felt people were not keeping two metres away and I said what did you do and she said I put my basket down and I went home and it was just heartbreaking do you know because she was she was all geared up to do this to do her little bit of shopping herself but she just felt so uncomfortable and I just thought wow when I saw this blue vest initiative if she'd been wearing a blue vest people would know you know Give, make sure you're giving at least the two metres to anybody wearing one of these vests. It, it really does. And, and, and unfortunately, and you're, you're dead right, that, you know, that poor lady, there's many of those who just stop going out. They say, oh, I've tried it a few times. I don't feel safe. So I've stopped going out. And that's a real shame because this is going to be with us for certainly probably to next year, Patricia. So we need to sort of change our behaviour a bit. But also we need to be more inclusive. Yeah of people and understanding. And this acts also as a kind of a subconscious reminder to all of us. So when you see the blue vest, it just reminds you that, you know, oh, yeah, we, you know, we need to give people space. We need to recognize it in the queues and in the corridors and in the shopping areas. And, you know, it acts as a subconscious reminder. So it's good for the person wearing it, but it's also, I think, good for all of the us. The general population. Comes. Absolutely. Yeah. So how does somebody get one of the blue vests? Well, they're being distributed to Cork City Council. So what they've done is they've distributed them to a, lar- a, a significant number of the community groups that are out in the city, in Blamire and Blarney and in the city. But also you can con- uh, contact Cork City Council uh, directly and they're hoping to order more of them as well because there seems to be good response and a very good demand for them. Would you like to see other local authorities follow suit? I would really because I think if you can get these national sort of uh, messages across, yeah, yeah. It, 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 it reinforces uh, it, it, you know, so that we're all in this together, but we all need to look out for people who are vulnerable. And sometimes you find people, say someone who might be undergoing chemotherapy or something yeah. like that, Patricia, who could look absolutely healthy and perfect and everything, and people often don't realise that they're vulnerable also, and you know, a blue vest is very good for that without them having to explain each time and go through the whole thing to complete strangers. Um, so it acts as a good message that way and reinforces the um, the message of what we're doing because, as you said there, unfortunately, the cases are beginning to creep up in Cork and I think that's just going to be the way it is for the next few months. And wearing your doctor hat, uh, John, how concerned are you about the rising numbers, especially here in Cork? It is concerning. No, you're, you, you are seeing it in particularly among young people. And I think it is slightly different in March. The, all the measures in March really were to prevent that sort of tsunami of cases where the hospitals, Mallow Hospital and CUH and all the other hospitals would get overwhelmed and the ICU capacity wouldn't be there. And those measures that came in in March really worked in terms of flattening the curve and slowing slowing everything down. This is slightly different, Patricia, in that it's, the numbers are going up, but it, it is significant amount of younger people as the schools have come back and, you know, more colleges are, are beginning to come back. So although the numbers are going up and that is concerning, the rate of hospitalization isn't going up as fast. So that is good. It's something we have to keep an eye on, but it's not going up as fast. And that's probably for a few reasons. One, obviously, the messages that we're all doing in terms of hand washing and masks and distancing is beginning, you know, has really had a positive effect. 
Two, I think the, the nursing homes, who, which who got a huge hit in March, they're obviously much more structured and planned and protected now compared to the to way they were. But the concern is, and this is just a, a, unfortunately a reality, as the cases in the community go up, the risk of, of COVID going into nursing homes goes up as well. And, and that's, that, that, that is really a concern. So yeah. I think it's different than March. Um, most young people actually do very, very well. You, most of them aren't sick. Most of them don't have to be hospitalised. But obviously, as the overall overall cases goes up, that increases the risk for everyone. Yeah, because I was looking at the number of outbreaks that are you know people are are picking up COVID nineteen at home. It's somebody's bringing it into the home. So the young person, you know, might be asymptomatic, but you don't want to bring it home to granny. No, you don't, yeah. and, and and that's the difficulty. You know, we, we we've seen all the different sort of stories of someone who was was healthy and they were fine, but then they passed it on, and then someone was very sick with yeah. it, um, and that's that's the big concern. Okay. And and I think also, you know, we're going to have to get realistic that um, most schools are going to have some outbreak. Um, you know, there's always a big element of surprise and shock when there's a couple of cases in a school. Um, but most schools are probably going to get some outbreak. But we're going to be able to manage that, and that will be managed. And, you know, schools will continue. You know, obviously some schools may have to close, but the vast majority of schools will be able to continue because I think that's important um, you okay. know, for, for, for children. OK, listen, John, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that. Thanks and for uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, former Lord Mayor, uh, Councillor Dr John Sheehan. 1850-333-103, lines open. This is Court Today. Court Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Uh, some people commenting on the Blue Vests initiative that has been introduced by Cork City Council. The idea being that uh, you can apply to Cork City Council and you get one of these blue vests and it simply acts and you wear it and it's, it's like the high-vis vest except it's blue. And it just acts as a reminder to passers-by to respect social distance and they're saying it makes all the difference for people with an underlying health condition or for perhaps uh, somebody who has been indoors after a period of cocooning and they may be nervous about going out and about and they want to go out and exercise and they want to go out to the shops but they want to remain safe so they just want people to know look just keep away from me please I'm trying to look after myself please stay the two metres away they're not saying that you, you don't you don't interact or talk to these people but just give them the space and it just says on the back of it keep a safe distance and it has the two metre sign with the two people that we've all become uh, very used to uh, seeing and it's quite a distinctive blue uh, colour some people okay some of your reactions to this could these blue vests not be handed out through the postmen and women the ones who were delivering groceries to the elderly and keeping an eye on the elderly people they are the ones who will know the people that need it and the ones that have been catered for, particularly the cocooners. Yeah, that is certainly a a great idea. Uh, Blue vest, what a brilliant idea, says this listener. I would certainly wear one in Mallow. Where can I get it? And unfortunately, you can't get one in Mallow because at the moment it's been introduced by Cork City Council. That was why it was one of the questions I asked um, John Sheehan, you know, would he like to see other local authorities follow suit? And he said he would. So maybe, maybe somebody within Cork County Council will pick up on it. And if they do, 
we will certainly let you know and we'll let you know where you can get your hands on one. Then Tim says, these are the people who are against the blue vests. Tim says, the vests are a new way of branding lepers, which I think is a really unfair comment on your behalf, uh, Tim. But John is in Tim's camp, even though I don't think he's quite using uh, such a strong word. John says, I'm uncomfortable with this Blue Vest initiative. John feels it's stigmatising people. I think a lot of people will be reluctant to take it up because it's drawing attention to you and anyone with a brain in your head should know to keep away from an elderly person in a queue. Yeah, John, absolutely anyone with a brain in their head should know. We should all be keeping two metres away from everybody in a queue. But the reality is that that's not happening. And in some cases, it's not even deliberate. People can get distracted and your mind can drift off somewhere else and you're in a queue and suddenly before you know it you're on top of somebody and the idea of wearing the blue vest is if you're standing behind someone for example you clearly see it says you know social distancing and the two metres and it'll act as a reminder to you keep back from from that person and and I disagree I don't think it's stigmatising people I think there will be a lot of people who will sign up for one of these blue vests. Not every older person is going to want one, but there will be a cohort of people who will. It's not just for older people. It's for people with underlying health conditions. I think Councillor John Sheehan, his point on somebody with cancer who's at a very, very high risk and is very vulnerable if they were to pick up COVID-19. And when they go out and about, they don't wear a sign saying, hi, I'm a cancer patient. Please keep away from me because I don't want to pick up COVID-19 in case you're carrying it. Someone like that could wear one of those blue vests. There's also people who will have a very vulnerable loved one at home. And when they go out, they're very nervous about people being on, on top of them. And I certainly have witnessed and have been in shops and supermarkets where I've seen people say, please, can you stand, you're, you're too close to me and asking people. But not everybody's brave enough to do that. And and the, the, the example I used of that lady uh, who contacted us when she came out after cocooning and she'd remained cocooning for quite some time and she went out on her first visit to her local supermarket she just felt nobody was respecting the two metre rule and she said well everyone had face masks on and she just felt very nervous very uncomfortable and if people had given her the two metre rule she would have continued to do her shopping and instead she left her basket with her with her bits in it and she went home very upset and you know for someone like that if she feels if it gives her the confidence to go out I don't think that's stigmatising anyone I think it's a fantastic initiative and once again I congratulate Cork City Council on it and I really hope that other local authorities including our own great Cork County Council I hope they follow suit and pick up on it as well but thank you you are entitled to your opinion John even if I don't agree with it and another John this time is John in Clonakilty says with all the talk about the pandemic John is worried about school buses he says school buses are still full children are leaving school and they're standing at school buses at bus stops the bus stops are also full crowds gathered around them and then they get onto a school bus which is also packed. Why didn't they implement the social distancing that they said they would do for school buses? Plus when John has witnessed the students gathering at the bus stop, none of them are wearing masks. The last time we contacted the department about the school buses we were we were told, I mean they, they, they announced the social distancing on school buses 
very late in the day. I think it was within 10 to 14 days of the school's reopening and they accepted straight away that they wouldn't at the start of the school year have the bus fleet in order to accommodate social distancing. This is just for the secondary school students. So they said they would kick it off and where possible, where they had buses, they would do the social distancing. But on other buses, people just had to get, if you wanted to get to school, you just had to, had to get on the bus. But they're still working on trying to get more buses into the fleet in order to accommodate the students so that eventually they will be able to social distance. But you are right about the young people gathering together when they come out of school. And the schools are doing their very best and they are forcing not forcing, they're telling all of their students that they must wear masks in class and that's working even though we had a teacher yesterday saying as soon as your back is turned the mask is off or they're not wearing the masks properly but but anyway the schools are doing their bit within the school campus but as soon as the young people leave school and they're outside of the school campus then young people are doing what young people have always done. They gather in large groups. I witness it every day, particularly at lunchtime when young people are heading out to local shops and delis to buy their food at lunchtime and then they're all gathering around. Even if they brought their packed lunch and mammy made their sandwiches in the morning, they're all still gathered in very, very large groups and none of them are wearing masks, but then they they don't have to. It hasn't been mandated that we wear masks outside, but you're right, they are gathering and they do gather at bus stops and there is absolutely no social distancing uh, going on and it is frustrating for a lot of people. And is that the reason that we are seeing more, that we are seeing more outbreaks in schools and will we continue to see more outbreaks in schools? I mean, even John Sheehan as a doctor wearing his doctor hat says we will see, we absolutely will see more more of more outbreaks in schools but the hope is that young people in the main don't get very ill when they pick up COVID-19 that's not to say that some young person won't get very ill we already know we've got some young people who have been hospitalised due to COVID-19 but in the main they don't get very unwell but it's who they will pass it on to is the problem that's the real worry that they'll get it in school or they'll get it when they're out with their large groups of friends and then they'll bring it home and if granddad or granny comes to visit or or somebody goes to visit granny or granddad and then they pass it on and then the big concern then if an elderly person gets it and becomes very unwell. 1850 on COVID cases in households that I spoke about earlier. Joe and Manway says yes, COVID cases in households um, are increasing but that is down to people in the house going to school, going to work, going to the shops, going to restaurants and now they're allowed to go out to the pub for a drink. They go out, they enjoy an evening out and then they bring the virus home. I was reading on a website last night the increase in households, outbreaks in households. Uh, Lockdown, yes, if that is what it takes. People need to cop on. Lives are at risk. I don't want to end up in hospital because of the stupidity of people out there, says Joe. And the latest breakdown and the latest data on the figures is showing that 83% of new outbreaks occurred in private households. And they continue to account for the greatest number of outbreaks. It's actually in homes 
but you have to pick it up somewhere and bring it into the uh, home. And on Dubliners and people saying that they saw a lot of Dubliners at the weekend down in West Cork and somebody was in Kerry and said there was a lot of Dubliners there and I was saying maybe they were staycationing and they were at the end of their staycation because since midnight on Friday night uh, Dubliners are not meant to leave Dublin. There he says, Patricia, just to let you know there are a lot of country folk who work in Dublin. I met a few who travelled home last weekend so don't blame all dubs for the spreading of the virus. Give up the good work. That's from uh, Mary. Yeah, you are very, you are so right. Well, those people that you met who travelled home last weekend shouldn't have been travelling home last weekend at least for the next this three weeks of the lockdown was we're into the first week of it they're not meant to leave Dublin I did hear of checkpoints now there's not checkpoints there 24-7 but I assume if they were stopped by the Gardaí and asked where are you going I'm sure I'm going home to the Rebel County for the weekend I'm sure that the Gardaí would have uh, turned them around and encouraged them to please go back to your house in Dublin and remain there until the restrictions have been lifted so yes we have a lot of people who work in uh, Dublin. 1850 John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls now I want to go to a piece from Leo Varadkar. Earlier this morning the Thonis de Leo Varadkar spoke with Jim Nugent and Mark Noble from our Dublin studio and they discussed a number of items including uh, the second wave teens hanging out together and he also touched on house parties this is what uh, Leo had to say earlier this morning I think we may already be well into a second wave. Uh, you know, if you look at our graph or if you look at the graphs around Europe, um, in some countries like France and Spain, they're already recording more cases every day than they did back in the spring. So um, I don't know whether, whether we're at the start of a second wave or whether we're well into one. I kind of hope we're well into one because that means it might level off and start falling in the next few weeks rather than just going, going up and up. Um, but the advice is the same, you know, it actually is quite simple. This is a virus that jumps from one person to the next, passes from one person to the next. How do you get it? Uh, we get it because we interact with each other. And in order to slow the spread of the virus, we have to interact with other people less. What's the worst case scenario here that we're facing into again? Well, the worst case scenario would be would be a second wave of of infections, hospitalizations, and deaths worse than what we experienced in spring. Um, and that's always something we've been worried about. I remember when Simon Harris and I were having conversations with Tony Hillen back in uh, March or April. He'd tell us that when the flu pandemic happened in, 20, in 1918, you know, the last big pandemic like this, it was actually the second wave that was worse than the first. Um, but that doesn't mean that that's going to happen this time because this is a coronavirus pandemic uh, and not a flu pandemic and we know much more about viruses now than we did 100 years ago. There are large large groups of uh, young people sort of behind shops and in places nobody can see them they're gathering because you know when you're fifth and sixth year that's it's kind of your mates is, is your whole world you know people you're, you're dating whatever is your whole world you don't want to stay away from all that. How do you reach those people and convince them to stay away from each other to stay apart? I think it's just just constant um, information and constant encouragement. Like, um, you know, I, I I remember what it's like being that age, and I was just thinking the other day about my leaving cert year, and you had so many big milestones. You know, you had the exams, you had the graduation, the results night, um, you had possibly a J one going to America for the summer, um, the Debs starting college and freshers week. You know they've lost out all of those milestones, all of those things in the space of a few months. And it's really tough for them, actually. Uh, so, you know, you know, I, I never like the finger pointing. Mm. I think we just need to keep talking to them and encouraging them and um, 
and engage in them. But if you've any bright ideas, I'm I'm, I'm all ears because it is it is one thing we're having a difficulty with is is getting that message across to people. Uh, one thing I would say though, and um, it is actually better that people are congregating outside than indoors. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe sometimes we see the younger people outside on the green or behind the shops. Um, we don't see the people in their 40s and 50s and 60s um, in groups of 6 and 10 and, and 15 in houses um, forgetting all about social distancing because nobody's watching them. Mm. I think we need to bear that in mind too. Just two things very briefly. First of all, any thoughts on a home testing kit that people could then be more aware quickly, more quickly aware of, you know, if they have to self-isolate? Yeah, well, there, there's a lot of um, lot of uh, progress being made on testing. So what we use in Ireland is this gold standard swab test PCR. It's 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 a bit slow and a bit expensive, but it's very sensitive and very specific. But there are now reputable companies that are producing antigen tests where you can use the saliva sample and get a result back within half an hour. Uh, they cost about five or six euros each, uh, so not as accurate, but much easier to use, much quicker, much cheaper. And, you know, I see Germany, UK are starting to use them. I think it's only a matter of time before we do too. And that actually could be very useful, you know, for screening healthcare workers, screening visitors to nursing homes. Um, not 100% won't eliminate the virus, but could help to reduce. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The risk a lot. Uh, and I think you'll start seeing them being used sooner rather than later. Okay, that was the Tonister Leah Varadkar earlier talking to Jim Nugent and Mark Noble in our Dublin studios. And by the way, yesterday we spoke about uh, the Tonister Leah Varadkar because he had issued a tweet uh, saying that he had uh, been in, he'd been contact traced, he'd been in contact, tested positive for COVID-19. He went forward for a test and he had the results back to, but he was negative. But he said that he was restricting his movements in line with public health advice. And many people were saying, but if he got a negative result, why is he still restricting his movements? While it seems those that are tested for COVID-19 who receive a negative result 
are still asked to restrict their movement for 14 days, although exemptions do apply for certain category workers. Uh, the idea being that when you get tested, that's deemed day zero. Uh, and then you've got 14 days in which even though you test negative at the start, you could still have the virus. Um, and yet you're just... it, it, it um, you won't have the symptoms of it um, and it, you will, you could still test positive because how many times have we heard cases of somebody who tested negative on day zero and they got tested again on the 10th day and they ended up tested positive. For the, so for that reason, he's restricting his movements for 14 days. He's not the only one. The Minister for Foreign Affairs, Simon Coveney, also restricting his movements. He was in Brussels for EU meetings on Monday and uh, Tuesday. Now, he was tested on leaving the country and again on re-entering. If his re-entering test is negative, He's cleared to work in his department and within the Oireachtas, but he still has to restrict his uh, movements. And then the, there's another minister, the Minister for Finance, uh, Pascal Donoghue. He's also restricting his movements until Friday. That was after it emerged that his French counterpart had tested positive for COVID-19. And Pascal Donoghue had attended a Euro group meeting in Berlin last Wednesday evening, which was attended by all the finance ministers from the 23 EU states, including the French finance minister. And it was the French finance minister who tested positive for COVID-19. Pascal Donahue did say he, uh, he was tested in advance of the trip and he was tested uh, again when he came back. So he's also restricting his movements. 1850-333-103. Our lines are open. C103 Jobs. Bowlbury Comprehensive School, they're inviting applications for a cleaner 20 hours per week uh, from 2 in the afternoon until 6 and it's a Monday to Friday position. Tractor driver with experience, that's wanted for an immediate start in Bandon, while experienced car sales executive is required for Newmarket. And Glenmar Shellfish, they're recruiting for a full-time shop assistant, that's for their shop in Union Hall. You'll find all the details and a lot more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs. This is C103. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now, signs of the damage to mental health caused by coronavirus has been revealed in a study that shows the disturbing effects on members of Ireland's men's shed. Ashley McGrath is with the Waterford Institute of Technology and she carried out the survey and uh, the study and she joins me. Good morning to Ashley. Hi, Patricia. Thanks so much for having me. Well, you're very welcome. I suppose, firstly, talk to me about men's sheds and the role they play in the life of the men who join. Okay, so the men's sheds are grassroots organisations. They're really member-focused spaces and they offer men a pressure-free environment uh, in which they kind of share skills, make new friends and connect with their communities. Uh, So the company of other like-minded men, camaraderie and banter are really what are at the heart of every men's shed. Um, and they're great for men who are looking for a sense of purpose or some social support in their lives, you know, and they get a lot from that. Yeah, and whereas women have a tendency to have a wider circle of friends, men of a certain age can don't seem to have that same support mechanism. Yeah, that's exactly it, Patricia. So I suppose they're at a much higher risk of social exclusion. Women tend to just be a little bit more extroverted, I suppose, in, in how we reach out for social connection, whereas men kind of need something that's a little bit more structured, I think, to engage them at times. Uh, not all men, some are great for coming yeah. forward, but I think that, yeah, it's important that there is some support there for them. Absolutely. You know, and a safe, a safe and familiar space, I think, is what the sheds really offer them, and the like-minded men that they can meet there are, offers a real sense of support to them, you know. And then when COVID-19 
hit this country and the restrictions came in, oh, did all of those men's sheds, did they just simply have to, to shut down? Yeah, unfortunately, the recommendation was that they would close um, because, you know, a lot of the men um, are older and they're in a more vulnerable kind of age group as well. So um, the recommendation was, unfortunately, to close. So that lifeline pretty much was kind of taken away overnight. So when you spoke to the members, have loneliness, I'm assuming, did, did they speak about loneliness since the sheds closed down? Yes, which is one of the most um, poignant findings, I suppose, that came out of, of our research. Um, we have been working with the men closely because we were implementing a health and wellbeing programme called Sheds for Life and that was really about supporting their physical, mental and social wellbeing and also kind of, a, you know, figuring out ways to engage men, I suppose, and offering them a little bit more social support. Um, so we were following the men over time so we were able to kind of talk to them about that and, and look at the impact COVID was having and one of the most stark findings, I suppose, is the significant increase in their feelings of loneliness across the board during covid so their loneliness scores, how we would have measured them, reverted back to how the men would have rated their feelings of loneliness before joining the shed. Yeah. So they significantly dropped. And the shed is inherently health-promoting and protective against loneliness because it facilitates the social support and sense of purpose. And because the men were at a loss of that, their loneliness skyrocketed, um, as did the men who fell into the lonely category. So they would be the ones that had significantly higher loneliness scores again. So that actually increased from 1.4 to 29.7%. So it was a huge jump, you know. And I assume physical activity would also have declined, would it? Yeah, so interestingly, one thing that came out of it was that we found that men in the rural areas were more physically active during COVID uh, compared to urban areas. And I suppose we could speculate that, that might be because of the vulnerable age group that they were. Maybe in rural areas, they had a little bit more space, you know, to get out, whereas there's a lot of anxiety there about COVID. So they may have been a little bit more hesitant in the busier urban areas to get out, you know. And uh, we also found that those who were not active or meeting physical activity guidelines before COVID were more likely to become even more inactive. So that is a bit of a public health concern as well, especially for older adults, you know, in terms of their mobility and their overall well-being. So with restrictions easing, are men's sheds now reopened and back up and running? They are, Patricia, in, in uh, some capacity. So every shed is so different, you know, in terms of the space that they have. So the larger sheds are able to open. Um, they have to do that in a restricted way, though. So only a few men are allowed in at a time, uh, which kind of goes against, I suppose, the essence of what the shed is about, that they can kind of come and go as they please in an informal environment. So I suppose it's it's not ideal, but at least they can meet in some capacity. I know that a lot of them are making efforts to engage online as well and also meet outdoors and do other activities. So they're very much, you know, still connected in that sense. But I suppose one of the bigger concerns would be that the digital um, isolation for some of the men, because mm. a lot of them don't have those skills to get online and they don't have even, you know, the computers or the internet to do that. So that's a big concern as well, that a lot of them are disconnected still, you know. Yeah, and there will be, as you say, some of the members are in the older age group and some of them, who, particularly those that were cocooning, some of them have remained cocooning and they're just too afraid even if their shed is open. Yeah, so from speaking to some of the men, uh, the stories that they were sharing with me, there is a lot of anxiety around it. So even getting to their shed is still a bit frightening for them. So, I mean, there is a big loss there in terms of that social support. It, it is gone, you know, but I suppose they're frightened to take the risk, especially a lot of them would have chronic illness or underlying health conditions as well. 
So, um, yeah, it's, it's it's not ideal. You know, I suppose our priority now would be trying to get them back into the shed as safely as possible so that, you know, their mental well-being is protected as well because I think there's a, a loneliness epidemic coming out of the, the COVID pandemic, I suppose, you know, and it's something that we really need to address. And that's right. That's right across society, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. It's not just specific to this group, but yeah. I suppose they are a bit more vulnerable, yeah. Yeah, and and let's you know why we're we're talking about men's shed is it's a good opportunity to to you know, to talk about the great work that they do in their locality, you know, with projects and helping out charities, etc. They're a great bunch of men. They're absolutely amazing, you know, and they have so much experience and um, skills to offer, and they enrich the lives of their members, but also the wider community and, and the outreach that they do. And any time you'd visit a shed, they're always so welcoming, and it's. It's a, it's a really privileged uh, thing to witness, you know, that sense of community that they all have and, and how they support one another. So, um, you know, and there's there's an amazing talent. So they, they, they do general things, like they come together and they play games and, and cards and that, but they also work on some really amazing stuff like woodwork um, and art and poetry and singing and they, they have a lot to offer, really. It's an amazing uh, organisation. Yeah, it's terrific to anybody out there who is thinking or if they know of a men's shed in, in their area, I'd suggest joining. I've, I've heard nothing from any person that's ever joined it. I've heard nothing, but the, the, for many, it's that they changed their life around completely and it's given them a, a great outlet. It's, uh, they are fantastic. Uh, OK, good study um, by you, Ashley. Uh, well done. And as I mentioned, you are from the Waterford Institute of Technology. Are you nervous about Waterford and the possibility of your county going into further restrictions? Um, I suppose it's a little bit concerning to see the numbers increase, but um, I, I try not to overthink it, I guess. We have to, I suppose, stay hopeful and hope for the best. And I think we have to kind of learn to adapt as well, Patricia, now at this point and focus on what we can, I think, and not what we've no control over. So The Institute of Technology is open, back up and running? It's um it's it's delivering um on virtually now, so it's all online. Um there's some limited classes that can't be delivered online that will happen face to face, but yeah, so it's no, not really. Yeah. It's strange times in which we all live for sure. Okay, Ashley Nissen, stay safe and thanks a million for joining us on the programme. Thanks so much, Richard. Good morning. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Ashleen McGrath there from the Waterford Institute of Technology. I want to say an interesting study on the men's shed. I can see some of your comments uh, still coming in on the blue vests. Uh, this is the what we spoke about in the last hour. Cork City Council offering these blue vests to uh, cocooners or to people who have are medically unwell and would like the idea, would have an underlying illness and would like the idea of wearing a blue vest, a distinctive blue vest, which acts as a reminder to passers by to please respect social distancing. A mixed reaction, I have to say, on this. I thought this, this was a fabulous idea. Not everyone's in agreement with me. Column says, great idea. If you want to identify people, the Germans used to put stars on the clothes of the Jewish people. And now... You want people to wear a blue jacket? It'll be the same. Column says it's a ridiculous idea. Civil liberties are gone. We all know who the old age pensioners are. We don't need a blue jacket uh, to tell us. Yeah, you may not need a blue jacket to tell you if a person is in the older age group, but it might just column act as a reminder to you to make sure you stay your two metre distance away. And what about people with an underlying health condition that might like to wear one and might feel a little bit more comfortable uh, and a little bit more confident uh, when they are out? Um, 
thanks uh, Cullum others not in favour of them Dennis says Patricia thanks for the heads up on who to rob these blue vests will be absolutely fab to figure out who to target kind of kidding so kind of kidding you uh, but you want to put a vest on an individual that basically says stay away from me because I'm vulnerable this is going to be Christmas for robbers this is exactly like chalking the road to say which house has a dog that could be robbed the best place for these uh, vests will be straight in the skip says uh, Dennis it would be individual choice on the good people of Cork City whether they decide to wear one of the vests or not Dennis and I don't think wearing a blue vest says to somebody I'm an older person as Cullum said very easy to identify older people and and who we should be keeping two metres we should be keeping two metres away from from everyone and it will be voluntary nobody will be forced to wear any of these uh, jackets. Uh, Tim says I partially agree with the other Tim it's like a sign saying keep away from me. The marks and the lines are on the floor. The store staff should be able to read the situation signed the other Tim. But you see that's the issue it's not always happening and here's a listener that says at the start of the virus my daughter who by the way is in her early 30s hated going shopping as she felt people weren't keeping their distance and weren't abiding by the two metre rule and she didn't want to offend anyone so I said to her you're doing nothing wrong. You've got the right to say to somebody please give me my space so I told her to say excuse me two metres. I was very proud of my girl while I was on the phone talking to her one day and I actually heard her say two metres please to somebody. So the young person who was crowding in her space did move back. We the Irish don't like to be firm with anyone thanking you says Margaret and that's it. That's, that's, the, that's the plus I see of these blue jackets. It just acts as a reminder to people because there are people who don't like to offend or who don't have the confidence to confront somebody to say Oi, you're in my space. Please move back by two metres. I think when you've got your trolley, if you're in the supermarket, the trolleys are great because they kind of almost act like a barrier. As long as the person behind you uh, comes up with uh, another trolley, you're, you're definitely going to be the two metres away. It's only if the person behind you has a basket and they end up being very close to you, you can see people getting very uncomfortable. But not everyone has the confidence to say, please, could you stand two metres away from me? 1850 John Paul and Sadie taking your call. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862 103 103. And we're going to Skibbering Guard, the station where I'm joined by uh, Sergeant Trina O'Mahony for this week's uh, Guard the File. Uh, good morning to you, Trina. Good morning, Patricia. And you're, you're welcome. We start with a, a, a burglary and this happened in Bandon. That's right, Patricia. Um, Gardiette Bandon are investigating a burglary that occurred there at a tool hire premises in the Old Chapel area of Bandon. It happened overnight between 10pm on the 10th of September and 9am on the 11th of September. And during the course of that incident, a large amount of tools and equipment were taken from a shed. Um, these would have included things like laser levels, saws, grinders, and a number of drills and a socket driver. So we're appealing to anyone who may have seen anything suspicious on that night uh, or may have any other information or someone who has been offered items for sale, maybe if they have any information to please contact the Guardian at Bandon. Yeah, or if people see or hear somebody suddenly selling tools at a knockdown price, alarm bells uh, should start uh, to ring. Something we don't often uh, feature on Guard the File is graffiti, but you've got a graffiti story out of Kinsale. That's right. Um, I believe maybe some of these crimes have already received some media attention, but Gardias can still are investigating criminal damage to a number of premises in the town. 
Um, this, these incidents occurred within a 40-minute period of time, actually, between 4 and 5 a.m. on the 20th of September 2020. So that was in the early hours of the morning. And during those incidents, property was defaced using a spray-painted stencil on a number of, of uh, buildings in the town. And actually, our own official patrol car was targeted during the course of those incidents. So um, we're aware that there were definitely two persons involved and we are appealing to anyone in the area of Kinsale who may have seen anything, who might have any information or indeed who might have some CCTV footage that might be of assistance to the investigation. We'd appreciate it if they would come forward to the Gardaí at Kinsale. Okay, and there was thefts from MPVs. That's right. Um, Again, the Guardian can sail and abandon are investigating a number of incidents that happened um, over the course of three different nights. Um, on the morning of the 14th of September 2020, in the Kinsale area, three cars were targeted and items were stolen from them. Uh, on the morning of the 15th of September, eight vehicles were entered and items were taken. And again, on the morning of the 22nd of September 2020, uh, four vehicles in Ballinhasig were entered and items were taken. And it's just notable there that on that occasion there, on the 22nd, that a number of vehicles in the Carrigaline area were actually um, targeted also and items were taken there too. So I suppose we really, really want to get the point out there, Patricia, again, um, that there are groups of travelling um, criminals who are willing to travel all over the county of Cork and target unlocked vehicles. What we're flabbergasted, um, unfortunately, to share with you, Patricia, is that in every single case, cars had been left unlocked. Um, so what's happening now is that I suppose unlocked cars are being targeted. People are no longer uh, breaking into cars. They're literally travelling throughout the county, picking an area, checking for unlocked cars and taking items from the cars during those incidents. So They're very easy picking, certainly, when a car is unlocked. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I suppose it's... It, it, What's further compounding the issue then, Patricia, is that high-value items are being left in the cars as well. So there, it's, it's a very lucrative target, you know, for the gangs that are operating in this way. We've seen cases where there's been valuable sunglasses, there's been cash, cameras, you know, ex- expensive tools, work laptops, all left in, in the cars on top of the fact that the cars have been left unlocked. So we just really need to remind people and get that message out there. You know, at night, make it part of your routine to just just look out the window and check that you've locked your car. It's only a matter of pressing the button on the key, you know, in, in the majority of cases. Mm. So, and uh, and leaving leaving keys in a car seems bizarre. Yeah, there has been one or two situations like that as well, um, where keys have been left under sun visors and um, things like that. And in some cases, those vehicles would have like work tools in the back or whatever. So again, you know, just don't do it. Lock your car, take all your valuables out of it. Um, and leave it secure because it it really is easy pickings for for these um, criminals. Yeah, just uh, please don't give them any opportunity at all. And then, if you do have items stolen from your car and it was an unlocked car, some people, Trina, might be a bit embarrassed about ringing the Gardaí because they know yes. they've been stupid enough to leave their car unlocked, maybe while in the driveway of their house, and something has been stolen. But you are saying, don't let the embarrassment stop you reporting it. Yes, absolutely. While we're absolutely, you know, determined to get the message out there in relation to the locking of the car, we really don't want people to be discouraged from reporting crimes like this to us. 
So, you know, if you have fallen victim to this type of crime, please do report it. It's essential that Ungarda Shikon are fully aware of what is happening out there and we will do everything we can to investigate it, identify a culprit and hopefully get the property back. Um, so it, what I would say is just as soon as you do become aware of the incident, report it to the Gardaí. And if you're at home at night and you hear any suspicious activity around the area, you know, report it immediately yeah. and we'll get a car out there to, to see what's going on. OK, and just to finish some items, just to, for crime prevention, I suppose, more than than uh, anything. The, the first one is on the importance of microchipping animals. That's right. Yeah, we just wanted to briefly mention this one and just highlight a positive outcome that happened recently, just to remind people, I suppose, of um, the importance of ensuring that your animals are microchipped. Now, um, I'm aware that obviously there's a legality uh, to it and people are required by law, certainly in respect of their agricultural animals and also with dogs, that they are to be microchipped. But I suppose just to clarify, the purpose of mentioning it today is really to highlight the benefit of doing it as well, um, not just as a legal requirement. Uh, we had an incident in the Dunmanway area where two ponies had been taken, and we are now able to confirm that they have since been located and were identified and returned to their owner. And I suppose the Brilliant. important factor there was the fact that they were microchipped. Uh, we were in a position to identify the, the correct owner and and return them. Yeah, and it's a very simple procedure to have done at your vet and it isn't a very costly one. But if your animal goes missing and then it is located, uh, you'll get your animal back, which is which is what it's all about. OK, Absolutely. and we're at the end of the summer season and definitely today there's a winter chill uh, there. You just want to ad- advise to people about, you know, marking their properties, particularly boats and engines. That's right. Yeah, I suppose, as you say, the summer season is ending and people will be taking their boats out of the water and um, locking up their property for the winter. So it's just to remind people to ensure that they do lock them up. um, Bring your boats and boat engines and any other um, seafaring equipment. Lock them away into sheds. Don't leave them out um, or visible to opportunistic criminals. And if you haven't done so already, please do consider getting your property marked. um, And this will make the property, I suppose, less desirable to criminals and make it identifiable in the event that it, it, it were um, stolen, should it be later recovered. Um, I suppose just to let people know they can actually buy a stenciling kit themselves, and it is possible to have the property marked both covertly and overtly. And what I mean by that is that it can be marked visibly, or if somebody is you know, reluctant to do that, they can actually mark it with invisible ink so if, you know, they're afraid of defacing the look of the item or whatever. And we are still able to check that property then should it ever be stolen to repatriate it with its owner. Yeah, because we often hear from Gardaí all over the country, um, Trina, that you have items that have been located, but you can't find who owns them. Absolutely, yeah. And again, it kind of, I suppose it goes back to the same point with regards to the microchipping of the animals. We have property all over the country and we ha- are literally unable to identify the owner because there's nothing about the property that makes it uh, specific to that individual. Um, That's frustrating. Standard. Yeah. Yeah, it it's, is, it's and some of it is is value is certainly valuable uh, equipment uh, as absolutely. well, and it's like with jewellery. If you've got if you have expensive jewellery, have photographs uh, of it. If God forbid it gets stolen. Okay, listen, we we'll leave That's it there, great. Trina. Thank you for that. Have a good week and stay safe. Thank you too. Thanks a million. Bye bye. That is uh, Sergeant Trina O'Mahony based at Skibbereen Guard the Station, eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. You're listening to Cork today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest.
A lady by the name of Christina from Rock Chapel contacted us earlier this morning. Christina, if you're still listening to us, can you call us back? We're having a problem trying to uh, connect with you. So if you could just give us a call back, that's Christina who contacted us earlier this morning in Rock Chapel. Now, a number of people are commenting on uh, Dubliners and the fact that Dubliners are now under restriction. People living in Dublin City and County are said are meant to remain within Dublin County and they're not allowed to travel out and likewise we unless it's essential business have no have no business being in Dublin at the moment well a listener says there was plenty of dubs in West Cork last weekend in holiday homes and hotel accommodation. How did I know they're from Dublin? Well, I was judging by their accent, so they certainly were out and about. Well, I'm just assuming the ones that were out and about last weekend were at the end of a staycation and they would have gone home and once they're at home now, they can't unfortunately come back out again. Uh, this listener says, as far as closing off licences, which was suggesting earlier, you can get plenty of home-brewed beers at this time of year. And anyway, if rumours are correct, drink is not the best way to get your kicks when drugs are so easily available. Who is controlling that uh, trade and actually we touched on cocaine use in our chat with Joe Heffernan on Tuesday and then after that we were certainly ahead because later on that afternoon there was an EU report that came out that showed that Ireland is one of the highest number of cocaine use among young people in the EU and the study found that cocaine is the second most common drug in this country after uh, cannabis. So it was a, a very worrying study indeed. So that listener is right. If you did decide to close all the off licence, if people want to get their kicks, they'll get it another way. I also think you're right about the homebrew. I think it's one of the reasons why when it's ever been suggested to the government, why don't they just close all the off licence and limit the amount of alcohol people have to try to stop all of the house parties. People, whenever you introduce prohibition and it would be a form of prohibition, people will come up with all kinds of ways of making their own uh, alcohol and we know how dangerous that can be. And just also on Dublin, oh before I get to, there's another listener has pointed out that it's pity the Dublin publicans are closed today, all of the wet pubs are still closed in Dublin because they're not able to celebrate. Today is Uncle Arthur's birthday today. He was born on this day in 1725 in County Kildare and he was financed by an Archbishop of Cashel's relative. He was given £100 at the time and he used that money to acquire the St James Gate site in Dublin uh, and it, that's where it all started and that's where Guinness all started and uh, but nobody in Dublin can celebrate Uncle Arthur today that is for sure and somebody else just on Dublin people says Patricia to the woman who was saying there was a, there's a lot of Dublin people in Cork how can she know if they're all from Dublin or not a lot of deregistered cars are not all from Dublin I cite an example says this texter we've a dereg car we've been living in Cork the past 20 years do we need a sticker now saying we're from Cork on our cars now next. Well I think the listener who said that they spotted that what she was talking about was people who work in Dublin, people who are from Cork but they're working in Dublin she knows that they're working in Dublin and they were down at the weekend that she was talking about but you are right there are a lot of deregistered cars so don't be giving dagger looks to anybody in a deregistered car. My own hobby's car is a deregistered car and he's never lived and we have never lived at all in Dublin but he happens to have a deregistered car and yeah people are sort of giving funny looks to people in registered cars we'll, we'll, we have to start putting stickers up saying where we're actually from thank you for your text to 0862 103 103 and please keep your texts coming in for 
Jane Pickett, our resident vet, there's something wrong with one of the animals in your house. Uh, you can get on to us, please, and I'll put your question to Jane after half past 12 today. But I want to go to the phone lines, I'm told. Christina from Rock Chapel is on line four. Uh, good afternoon to you, Christina. Good afternoon. Now, now, thank you very much for contacting us about this because it's always lovely to highlight a good news story and what, what is really a simple act of kindness. But it, it's, it's, tell us what happened. I so agree with you. Um, I was posting in Newmarket Post Office last Friday and I purchased a lottery ticket. Now, as you know, uh, I we all put, we're all guilty of putting lottery tickets into our bag and I thought no more of it. And then I went to look for it, couldn't find it, but alas, I said it must be somewhere else. Okay? Yeah. So... We were travelling for the weekend and lo and behold, on Tuesday morning, I got a letter in the post from Newmarket Post Office with my lottery ticket in it. (laughs) So you had left it behind you on the counter? I had left it behind me on the counter and I was registering a parcel to my daughter in Holland. And I reckon that's how they were able to trace me because I am a newcomer. So they wouldn't have known me personally. But I thought it was so, such a lovely thing to do. What a fantastic, a simple thing, but a fantastic thing to do. Do you know, even getting the brown envelope in the post was good. (laughs) (laughs) God, we don't often celebrate brown envelopes. No, not anymore. And and do you know who in Newmarket Post Office went to all of that effort for you? I don't know, but there was two ladies in there. Both of them were extremely nice. And, you know, it I was, actually it was don't one, know. Well, I can tell you, I think it was Marion and she's on the other line. Uh, oh. Good afternoon, Marion. Hi. Was, 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 was it you who spotted that Christina left her lottery ticket behind her? I, I, it was actually. I don't, and that only for she having her address. On the parcel, I wouldn't have known where she was from. <laughs> so she's her detective work was good. She yeah. she worked out how you got her her name her name and address. And do people often leave things behind the married on the counter? Oh, they do, they do often. But we always go back on the video cameras here just to check and see. If they might just leave a few coins, or they might leave a fifty or a note. Or but we always go back. We've I, we've failed to we haven't ever uh, not got somebody anyway for what's been left. Well done. And did you instantly realise she'd left the lottery ticket behind? I gave a couple of minutes later, so I actually ran up to the Super Valley just in case she had gone up there. And she hadn't. And, and she hadn't, so I said she must have gone in her car, so I pulled out the parcel. Well done. Well, and, oh, well done. I was, yeah, I was actually on my way to Honora's Cottage in the Fire Valley. <laughs> you, were, you were on a little staycation. And come oh, here now, staycation. of course, the $64 million question, yes, Christina. Yes, that's what we all want to know. <laughs> Sorry. Was it a lucky ticket? Sorry, it did not come to Rockchapel. <laughs> ah, goodness. Wouldn't that be a great end to the story? It, it would have been lovely. But I appreciate, <laughs> but I tell you, I appreciate I mean, her ringing. I will purchase one again. Well done, well done. All right. And Christina, you say you're new to the area. That's correct. How long are you new to the area? A year and a half. In Rockchapel? In Rockchapel, yes. Uh, And do you mind asking where you came from? Uh, Rochestown in Cork. All right. And why why Rockchapel is a lovely lovely part of the country. Why Rockchapel? Well, as I would say, we always had a grow for it. Did you? So we decided to retire down here. Yes, and we are so, so happy. So you've given up Fantastic. city city living to come to come to rural Ireland? 
Well, you see, we weren't really city. We were 10, 10 miles outside, but it got so built up and everything. But this was always what we decided to do. And I would recommend anyone just thinking about it, just go for it. Well done. Well Feel done. The, the fear and do it anyway. Good on you, good on you. Yeah. Listen, Christina, thank you uh, for contacting us and Marion, keep up the fantastic work that you always do uh, in Newmarket Post Office. You're a great bunch. Listen, good. We'll see Christina again, please, guys. We will indeed. to the Post Office. Okay, okay God you. bless, ladies. Okay, bye, 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 bye. Uh, as I say, nice good news story, nice act of kindness. Uh, well done. And, you know, uh, Marion d- runs really great Post Office in Newmarket. But, you know, when I heard that story, uh, I straight away said, doesn't to show and highlight the importance of those small little rural post offices for something as silly as that but it sort of made Christine's day that somebody went to the bother of tracking down who she was where did she live and popped it back in the post so well done and thanks to Marion Murphy of Newmarket Post Office for joining us on the line it would have been lovely if Christine had had the win 1850 some more of your thoughts coming in still getting comments in on the blue vests idea on behalf of Cork City Council going to be offered uh, to people who are feeling um, a bit vulnerable when they're out and about, people with underlying illnesses, now people who've come out after a period of cocooning and they want to get out but they want people to remember that they need to stay two metres apart. So the idea is you wear the blue vest and it has two metres on it and the the hope is that it will act as a reminder to passersby by to respect social uh, distance. One listener uh, foresees a slight problem says the blue vest in winter time. Don't know how that's going to work as people wear coats or heavy garments. They're not going to, would they be able to fit on over those says Margaret and Octagree. I imagine they will because they're like the high-vis vests and you can get a high-vis vest on over a quite a thick jacket or you know chunky jumper so I imagine they'll make them loose enough that it will fit on over a heavy winter coat and said Patricia the blue vests great idea especially for vulnerable people I was in a shop on Sunday and a man came up very close behind me in the queue I actually offered to leave him go ahead of me but he refused he wasn't socially distancing from me and I hadn't the courage to remind him I'm in a vulnerable group and if I had the blue vest on it might hopefully have just reminded him to please step away and stay the two metres apart that's from Anne thanks for that Anne and uh, John in Blackpool great idea at the blue vests people now uh, might respect people's space and the fact that you're in Blackpool John I imagine because it's the city council is operating it that you will be able to uh, look for one if you're not already contacted to get one if you're not on a list um, you might be able to approach Cork City Council and get one for yourself and Stephen in County Kerry as I meant to mention Stephen actually sent this text in I'm sorry we were busy in the last hour I didn't get to it after the news at 11 when I was reading out the weather forecast and, and I said uh, there was strong and gusty winds Stephen says Patricia who writes your weather forecasts uh, by the way we get our weather forecast from Met Aaron Stephen Stephen said there's a storm blowing here with torrential rain and that was some Stephen in County Kerry now that was after 11 I'm hoping that that storm has blown away and that the rain has eased off that's to do with the wind warning Was there was a wind warning yesterday issued for coastal areas and I'm assuming it must be hitting parts of Kerry as well certainly down along the western seaboard there was a wind warning for yesterday evening last night and into this morning so you obviously got the tail end of that uh, Stephen as I say but hopefully this, this storm has blown over and you now just have strong and gusty winds Hi Patricia could you mention driving bingo is on tonight Okay, Theo Park, Labamalaga, half past seven. Please wear your mask. We were talking about some of the smaller parties are refusing to take the 2% pay increase that 
all TDs are receiving. This is the 2% hike, bringing TDs salaries to just over 98,000 and senator salaries to just over 69,000 euro. And a number of the smaller parties, including the Social Democrats, the people before profit deputies, they're way, they're, they, are, they will waiver the 2% increase and Sinn Féin have also agreed to collectively forego the rise and it, Sinn Féin are gifting it back to the Exchequer and we also heard that a group of the independents are not going to be taking the increase and the independent TD in West Cork, Michael Collins, has also refused the pay increase as he also refused the previous one. Uh, Tim wants to point out that refusing to take the pay increase and giving it back to the Exchequer are not the same. Breed Smith is not taking the increase, but neither is she giving it back to the Exchequer. She and some of her colleagues, now Tim doesn't know, but he's presuming it's people for profit, are taking the increase, but they're not keeping it themselves. They're spreading it around. And he said, for example, the Debenhams workers have been mentioned as some of the beneficiaries. He said this is using the pay increase, he feels, as a political fund. And he also feels it causes inequality amongst the unemployed. He said there are two different things to not taking the pay increase and gifting it back to the Exchequer. So do I take it from that, that Sinn Féin are the only party that are gifting it back to the Exchequer, that all of the others will take the 2% and then put it into some kind of a fund and pass it on to good causes. Meg says, Hospital schools, charities, etc. need money. Very few politicians deserve it. And at the end of the day, they also get money for travel, etc. because they are able to get expenses. 1850 And when we were talking about the Christina and her lottery ticket and Newmarket Credit Union and Marion and the gang uh, sending it back, the, it's just gone off my screen. Unfortunately, there's a text in about a win in Newmarket and my text message service. Literally, is about to read it out, just went down. I'll find it and get back to it in a moment. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Palancolic GAA Club, they're hosting a coffee morning. It's in aid of Marymount Hospice and it's on this morning. It's on as we speak until two o'clock this afternoon. Please support and please ensure social distancing uh, measures if you are going along. Kildare Community Development, their weekly lotto draws this afternoon at four in Kildare Community Office. They've got a jackpot this week of €2,600. Bohabui Penny Dinners Collection is being held in Bohabui Parish Hall. It's on next Sunday between 10am and 1pm. As always, items that are acceptable are cash, perishable goods and home baking. And Dromahan Community Park are holding their autumn fair next Sunday between 12 and 2pm. All funds raised will go to the Drumahan Community Park Fund. Please adhere to government guidelines in relation to COVID-19 and social distancing. And the texts are back off. Somebody said the telly bingo went to Rock Chapel a couple of weeks ago and it was a, a big win. It was a €10,000 win. So well done to everyone that in Rock Chapel. But unfortunately, it wasn't our Christina. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. Okay, this has been on by WhatsApp to say, Hi, Patricia, my dad needs to get his bloods taken and tested as he didn't get them done since last year. He normally gets them done twice a year as due to underlying health conditions. He is 90. What's the procedure at the moment, says uh, Eileen. Now, I know that all of the, when you ring your GP practice, they do all the consultations over the phone, but obviously they can't take your bloods over the phone. I certainly have heard of uh, family members who have had to go for bloods and have gone into the GP practice and there isn't an issue. Obviously, you need to make an appointment. You'll have to wear a mask and you'll have to, you know, go by all of the guidelines. 
that they suggest that, that the individual GP practices will tell you to do. So I would suggest Eileen that your dad rings his doctor, explains that he's due to have his bloods done and I am assuming an appointment will be made for him then. And hi Patricia, those blue vests that you're talking about from Cork City Council, they're wearing them on Coronation Street. I didn't know that. Okay, thank you for that. And uh, Marguerite says, I think it's disgraceful that the government are getting another pay increase. I'm a pensioner. I have to live off a little over two €200 a week to pay all my bills and pay for all my food out of that and yet they could give themselves a 2% increase. I think it is a disgrace. Uh, Willie is, I'm assuming from your text or your call Willie that you're not happy with the children back at school. Willie feels it's unfair to expect children to go home to a house where they could be bringing the virus back with them and many of the children will be asymptomatic and won't realise they're bringing the virus back in with them. Many households have grandparents living with them. Some of those grandparents could have underlying health conditions Willie feels the government are not thinking properly at all and the one thing that has been said from day one was to all of the pressure was on to get the schools back up and running and we know if you go through the different level five, level 1, level 2, level 3, level 4, level 5 we're currently in level 2 with Dublin in level 3 even though there's talks a lot of the country could be moving to level 3 and I even heard yesterday from somebody living in Dublin they're already expecting to go to level five, level 4 and, le- and if we ever get to level 5 it's almost like the lockdown that we experienced back in the early days but even if you look under level 5 they are hoping that they will still be able to keep schools open so there has been a big push Willie disagrees with that and thinks that that's not the right move even though across Europe and America and Australia the one push always is to keep the schools open and when we spoke about thanks Willie for your text or your call and when we spoke about school buses and school buses being crowded and it has been suggested and recommended that social distancing will be adhered to on second the buses for the second level schools but there isn't enough buses at the moment but they're trying to bring in more buses into the fleet so that students can sit two metres apart on the bus but for now many of the students are still on crowded buses. Marie says there's no shortage of buses out there. It's the drivers that they have a shortage of. If they allowed drivers that were over the age of 70 to work they'd sort a lot of the problems. There are a lot of very, very capable bus drivers who were forced to give up bus driving at 70 because the rules and regulations dictate that they can't drive over the age of 70. Many of them are very, very capable drivers with years and years and years of experience but they are not allowed to drive buses. Uh, and yeah, and have we've, that's an issue I certainly have heard of before. I've spoken with some of those very fine, fit, healthy over 70s who would love to be still back driving their buses. We're just getting a report in on breaking news story of a building on fire on McCurtain Street in the city. McCurtain Street is currently blocked as emergency services deal with the fire in a building. You're advised to take care in the area as smoke might affect visibility. But as of now... The McCurtain Street is closed while the emergency service deal with the fire. And what we're told now, it's a construction building 
or a building under construction that's on fire on McCurtain Street. So if you're in around the city, please uh, avoid that area for now. Focus Ireland are looking for people to participate in this year's Shine a Light campaign by sleeping out on Spike Island. The night that they're hoping to do their sleep out is October the 16th and I really hope they get a fine night for it. Anyway, our senior news reporter Fiona Corkham spoke to the fundraising executive Dick White. She also spoke with Joe, who contacted Focus Ireland when she became homeless and they helped her to secure some place to live. Freedom, it's, it's, it's relieving to not have to depend on anyone else other than yourself. And actually, yeah, I know it's kind of a heartfelt touching area here, like, because oh, I've always been so dependent on other people. So it's lovely to actually have my own independence back. Joe got her own home last February, thanks to Focus Ireland. She contacted the service after she found herself homeless and says that as well as getting her a place to live, the staff treated her with respect. I feel like you're on top of the world, that, you know, you're not alone. You don't have to go through it alone. Um, it's hard to explain, but having respect for other people is just where it's at. And if you don't have that, especially in the the housing industry, because you know there there is a lot of people out there, and that are still on the streets, and a lot of people don't have respect for that. And they're they're just as bad as anyone else. They're trying to get places and. They're doing the best they can, you know. They might not know about the services. They might not understand how to deal with the services. So it, it, I was lucky. Joe is one of hundreds of people helped by Focus Ireland here in Cork every year. Like every charity organisation, their funding has been hit because of the pandemic. So this year's Shine a Light campaign is more important than ever. They're asking business leaders and work groups to sleep out on Spike Island on October 16th and raise money for their services. Fundraising executive Dick White is assuring people that the sleep out will be in line with COVID-19 guidelines. The important thing to, for, to remember is that it will be completely compliant within all the regulations uh, that, that are in place. It will be completely socially distanced. There are 104 acres out there after all to, 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 to sleep in. So we will have it all organised. It is all in place. But there are other ways to participate this year. We're delighted to say that we have the at-work option for businesses to do it in their own work environment if they so wish. But we also have Host Your Own which is an opportunity basically for everybody, business leaders, community people, to get involved and sleep out in their own home on the night of the 16th in the safety and security of their own place. They don't need to leave their house. They can sleep on the deck, sleep in the garden, sleep on the couch. What we really need is for people to sign up, to participate with us, and um, generate some income for us to deliver our services here in Cork. Dick explains how people can sign up. Very simple, go into www.focusireland.ie, click on um, uh, Shine a Light, and you can sign the three options are there, host your own at work or or, our business leaders on Spike, and I will be back in touch with everybody who signs up. And as for Jo, what does she hope for her future? Hopefully to get a more extravagant place of my own. Uh, no, I'd, I'd love to get a, my own house. Yeah, I'd love to have my own house and start my own family and stuff. So. 
Well done. Well done, Joe. And that's what we wish for you too, that you do get your own house and start your own family. Focus Ireland, fantastic organisation. I know a group from the radio station went last year on that Shiny Light campaign and stepped out on uh, Spike Island. Well, it was a, a tough night. They all said that they just felt great after, after doing it. So it's a wonderful organisation and we wish them well with it. Just a follow on from yesterday when we had some calls in about the Glen Eagle Hotel in Killarney. Um, they were, there were, had been complaints about, from a guest who claimed she saw at least 400 people attend an indoor concert at the venue on Saturday night. I was saying, how could that have happened? So we got on to the, to the Glen Eagle and the hotel management have come back and they insist the venue is adhering to guidelines for controlled environments and they are sticking by the Fall to Ireland guidelines for hotels, which states that uh, pubs, cafes and restaurants, including hotels and restaurants and bars, can open with protective measures in place. Now, a guest had claimed that she and two friends were returning from dinner on Saturday night when they heard noise and singing coming from the hotel function room. Now, she said that when she took a look in, she was appalled at what she saw. She said she was shocked. She looked up the guidelines for indoor events and I think the guidelines, is it at 50 for indoor events or is it even at 50? Anyway, she says there was definitely 400 people in the room. Now, she had her elderly mother with her and uh, she was fearful for everybody else what she said were at, that they were at a concert she said that they were all very tightly packed in to the function room and uh, she was just concerned about it but the Glen Eagle have said that the maximum numbers within the premises are linked to the capacity of the premises so they are able to do social distancing they said they have opened their largest venue which is the INEC as a residence, restaurant and lounge and that ensures the guests have ample space to socially distance and the ground floor of that particular auditorium is 1,400 square metres. Normally they say the INEC can accommodate 4,142 people standing or 2,142 at a fully seated uh, event and is only open for large concerts and uh, conferences. But instead what they've done is they've put in tables and chairs so that people can sit in and have, you know, I suppose a meal or, well, if it was at the weekend the wet pubs are open so they, they could just have a drink. They say we carefully choose low-key low-volume acts. They say it's a controlled environment, strict social distancing measures are in place, table service is mandatory, food is served throughout the evening, dancing is not permitted and all guests must remain within their family group at their allocated table. They say staff are present at all times to ensure social distancing measures are adhered to and they have details for contact tracing or taking upon entry to the hotel and again upon uh, and again upon entering the INEC so they have all the contact tracing if God forbid some there was to be a COVID positive case. They say they're not doing anything wrong. A couple of people were on to us about that and was actually there she was at the INEC she said I couldn't see any problem at all with it all the tables were well away from each other everybody was social distance the music wasn't very loud it was actually away from us no none of the acts were loud I don't know what all the fuss is about or why that woman was complaining Dermot said um, my wife and I went great night everything was adhered to if people don't feel safe themselves then that's fine but we felt it was perfectly safe you'd experience worse in a supermarket says Dermot Irene said if that person complaining wasn't happy then why go to events like that there was no way there was 400 people in that room and we'd gone to the stage that 
have we gone to the stage where people go somewhere and just moan after about what other people are standing too close? If that person was that worried, why didn't she say something to the hotel management? Now, I don't know if she did if she, if she did complain to the hotel management or not. She wasn't at the event. She was coming back after dinner, heard the noise in the function room and put her head into the function room, walked into the function room and she saw so she wasn't actually at the event. OK, but thank you to the INEC who issued us uh, with their statement saying they're not breaching any of the guidelines and they are sticking religiously to the Fault Island guidelines for hotels. 1850-333-103. We're going to take a break and we are back having your pet questions answered by Jane Pickett. If you have a pet question, get it into us, please. 1850-333-103. John Paul or Sadie will take the question from you. Or you can text or WhatsApp a question to 0862 103 103. Or today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103. And we're off to the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, where our resident vet Jane Pickett is. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Hi there. Uh, you're very welcome. Okay, straight in with questions. Martin in Mitchellstown has been, been on. He has a lamb with a sore leg. He can't spot anything that's very obviously wrong with the leg. Is there anything he could rub into the leg to help the lamb? A, a lamb a lamb with a sore leg. There's a number of things that could be going on here. It could just be a little bit of a hurt, let's say, if we were out and about rough and tumble and there might be a bit of a strain or a sprain, but something I'd always be worried about, particularly in in, in in young animals um, is whether there be any kind of joint infection. Um, so that can be a little bit more serious and, re- and require quite intensive treatment to get it right. Without seeing the animal, it would actually be very difficult to, to say. However, what I'd say is it does sound like if it's quite significantly lame and it's been going on for, let's say, more than a day or two, I definitely advise you you get a vet to take a look. Um, it could be something simple and require just some minimal treatment and rest, or, or as I say, it could be a more sinister infection that would require quite quite aggressive treatment. So I think it's best to get your vet involved at this juncture, just to suss it out and see what's best to to get that lamb's leg right. Okay, Mary, Mary in Skibbereen, my apologies, Mary, has a 13-year-old dog who has developed a dry cough. Now she said in this call, she said, I gave him tablets, so I'm assuming she was at the vet, it was the vet gave tablets but they haven't worked is there anything else that can be tried for a dry cough in a 13 year old dog okay so we have a bit of an older patient here um dry hacking coughs can can be a number of things so sometimes it can be let's say an infection like a, a kennel cough um it's very similar to like the flu in humans um so a bacteria or a virus that just causes a, a bit of a, a kind of a respiratory illness and a, and a hacking cough Sometimes it can be if there's any irritation of the windpipe. So as as dogs and and particularly small dogs um, get a little bit older, we can see that they have some changes in the the supporting rings of their windpipe, which means that their windpipe is a little bit more irritable than usual. So sometimes if there's any change, let's say in the weather or a slight irritation of the windpipe, it can really set off this quite kind of distinctive hacking cough, a uh, dry kind of cough. And, and there's medications that we can sometimes give once we've ruled out any cause of infection that can set down that irritation. Sometimes it can be something a little bit more sinister, like involvement of heart disease. If there's an enlargement of the heart, it can sometimes press on the windpipe inside the chest. But generally that gives us a, a kind of a softer cough. I think there's a number of things that could be going on and it sounds like you've attended your vet for some treatment initially, so well done for, for taking that step. However, I'd suggest at this juncture going back. 
well, without knowing, let's say, what tablets they were and what treatments we were aiming at, what the kind of working diagnosis was, it would be very difficult for me to say. And, and frankly, without without examining the pet, it would be impossible for me to say what the best course of action is. So I'd pop back to your own best, let them know that things haven't quite worked out with the course of treatment that we had initially. Sometimes things are simple to solve. Sometimes they can be a little bit more challenging. So trust your vet. Let them know what's happened. They'll re-examine the animal and I'm sure they'll be able to help. And take a different course of treatment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hi, could you ask Jane, please, I have a 13-year-old terrier with a cough. Got him scanned, etc. He has a fibrotic tissue in his lungs and he was also diagnosed with an enlarged heart. He he got an injection and then he was on lots of antibiotics, all to no avail. It's, It's very harrowing and difficult to listen to him. Is there any other treatment that could be suggested? Wow. Mm, this is a really tough situation. I think you've done really well getting kind of a good good kind of treatment from your vet, good diagnostic workup. It does sound like there's a number of issues going on here. Um, you say that there's kind of fibrosis in the lungs, which is kind of a hardening of the lungs, essentially. And they're not as flexible as they would be usually with fibrosis. And an enlargement of the heart would suggest that there is some degree of, of heart disease from what you're, what you're saying there about the diagnostics. Both of those things can cause a cough in one way or another, either the lungs being changed either through age or through disease. And again, let's say enlargement of the heart inside the chest can actually cause a cough if if it's pressing on the windpipe as it gets a little bit bigger. I know it's really, really frustrating and you don't like to see them, let's say, in pain or or suffering or uncomfortable. So I think very much like our previous listener, if, if things haven't settled and if things aren't working, Return to your vet and let them know. I think as a vet, particularly when we're managing, let's say, not so straightforward disease, it absolutely breaks our heart when we see some, some let's say, cases fall off the radar. A lot of the time, our job as vets is, is trying to convey that things may not be simple and it may not be, a let's say, a silver bullet, a quick fix. Sometimes we have to work through a process of kind of initial treatment and further diagnostics to, to really nail down what the problem is, depending on how complex it is. So I'd say trust your vet, go back and let them know what's happened, let them know the response or the lack of response. And they'll be able to guide you again as to whether more diagnosis is required or alternative treatment. But as I, as, as with the last one, it doesn't sound like, let's say, a super simple, straightforward case. So trust your vet. Okay, and there will be just it did, that treatment didn't work. Hopefully, there will be one that will work because yeah. it is hard to watch, yeah. especially a thirteen-year-old much-loved dog. And it seems to be all older dogs today because somebody else has a thirteen-year-old terrier and wants to know: uh, Could you ask Jane what would cause bad breath in a thirteen-year-old terrier that obviously wasn't uh, there before? So this is something uh, new. Okay, bad breath in a thirteen-year-old terrier. If I was a betting woman, I'd say I'd be. A fairly safe bet in saying that it's dental disease so as we get a little bit older if you imagine if you if you and I kind of didn't brush our teeth for yeah. 13 years yeah, yeah. <laughs> the stage our teeth would be in they'd probably be covered in tartar they'd be a bit smelly we might have some dental disease under the surface and that all causes a big smell now what I would say is some dogs are really really lucky they obviously don't brush their teeth themselves unless their owners do it for them and and they seem to magically emerge 10 years later with, with fabulously clean teeth. And a lot of that's dependent on diet, but also the conformation or the shape of their mouth. The vast majority of dogs will need a helping hand with their with their dental health, whether that be a dental diet or toothbrushing to keep things ticking over. Dental disease is really, really common. As vets, we estimate that about 70 to 80% of our patients have dental disease. 
And that may be as simple as having tartar on the surface, so kind of a gungy calcified substance on the surface of the teeth. But the problem is that when that's there, it's a beautiful environment for bacteria to live in. And it also damages, the, let's say, the ligaments and the underlying structures in the tooth. So we always say that teeth are like an iceberg. If they're bad on the, on the top, they're worse on the bottom. And that's the bit we can't see. A lot of the time, that will be the bit that's smelling. So it may be that there's an infection going on. It may be that there's dental disease below the surface of the tooth. Or it may just be that there's a whacking amount of tartar on those teeth that's causing a really, really bad smell. What I would say is definitely go to your vet. A smell is, is an indicator, certainly, that there sounds like there's a, a problem within the mouth. And as I say, it's probably dental disease. Very rarely we can have problems with, let's say, acidity in the stomach and regurgitation of, of stomach contents that can cause a smell. But that, that's really rare in comparison. As your vet, get them to do a dental assessment. They'll have a good look at things whilst your animal is, is awake. But the likelihood is they may well need to get your pet in for a general anaesthetic to do a, a dental scale and polish and, and possibly even some further kind of let's say extractions or or work up on the teeth to, to see where the problem and the smell is coming from. Be quite uncomfortable for the dog to be suffering. It can with, be. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of like thinking about ourselves with toothache. You might be a little bit grumpy and let's say you might be uh, as keen to go out and do what you'd normally do if you have toothache be sore when you're eating and I think a lot of the time people expect and I know it's certainly very difficult for us to interpret how our, our dogs and cats are feeling a lot of the time they're really really stoic animals they they really put up with a lot of pain and discomfort before they let on because that's kind of how they're they're primitively hardwired and they're not meant to show any signs of weakness and um, because once upon a time if you were in the wild and you showed signs of weakness you'd, you'd get eaten you were gone, yeah. so they're really yeah they, they're really hardwired to kind of repress those those signs and and symptoms of pain so generally with dental disease we just see them being a little bit quieter sometimes a little bit grumpier maybe having a little bit more peakiness with their okay. food than usual all right definitely yeah. definitely a trip to the vet to, to act as the dentist okay mm. we'll leave it there thanks for that jane have a good week We'll chat again next week. Jane Pickett from the Island Wood uh, Veterinary Hospital. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul and Sadie for taking your calls. We're back with you tomorrow morning at uh, 10 o'clock until I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.